Please stand for the call to worship. Now is the time to awaken to the presence of God, the eternal spirit. Now is the time to come alive with our psalmist devotion. Today, we open ourselves to the power of the spirit in our lives. We do all this because we have responded to the ministry and message of Jesus Christ, whose people we are.
Good morning. Were you as happy to see the sunshine today as I was? I know that to be able to see the, the warmth, to see the sun shining and to feel its warmth is something that we um, look forward to every day, especially as we think about springtime and what it means. We come and gather today to worship the one true and living God. And we do so with hearts that are uplifted as we come into this place dedicated to worship, a place where we can join hearts and spirits. We can lift our voices in song and in praise to God. I do want to welcome all of those who may be guests today or those who may be, uh, have been away for a while. We want to have a record of everyone's attendance that, that is here today. So at the end of each pew, you'll see a little blue uh, notebook there. And if you'll write in there your name, uh, it'll help us know who you are. And there also might be a place that you could, uh, there is a place there. If you have any change of address or phone numbers, then uh, we can update our records too. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord together today. We are a fellowship of believers here at Southside Baptist Church, building an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond. And we do so by welcoming each and every person that comes into this place to know that as we do, that the spirit of Christ is within them. And so you have an opportunity now to welcome those by passing the peace of Christ to one another. If you would take just a moment and do that uh, to those that are close to you or across the... Go ahead, Stuart. As we come back together, may we um, enter a moment of prayer to begin the service further, knowing that our um, homily series is continuing today, Generosity and Envy, and the, um, the text that seemed to me most uh, appropriate for this was one that we know in its Latin version as ubi caritas. Uh, you will find it, though, in translation as the anthem uh, title also, where charity and love are, God is there. May we invoke the name of our God and Savior as we enter. We thank you, our dear Father, for bringing us to this place today. We know that you are love. We know that you have gathered us together, that you are able to make us one in your, your love and fervor. May we know that inside the walls of this particular church building, we understand that it is easy to profess our love and faith for you and our love toward one another. And may we know also that you are with us when we are outside of the walls of this church, this building, when we profess charity and love to others, when it is perhaps not always so easy. Help us to know that you are the source of that love. And may we learn more of it as we sing, as we pray, as we listen, as we read during this rest of this hour. In the name of the one who came to be love and charity within us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. May we join together in singing a hymn that you're going to know it as, a, as a, an English folk song. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask eventually uh, Dr. Roxburgh to correct my pronunciation. I've always known it as either O Wally Wally or O Whaley Whaley. Uh, but you're going to know it uh, 
as you hear it. May we turn this, uh, we sing to 440, and you will understand it as we hear the introduction. May we stand as we sing together. <laughs> First of our scripture readings this morning is from the Hebrew Bible and in the fourth chapter of Genesis, reading the first eight verses. Both of the readings have connections to the theme of the homily, generosity and envy. Now the man knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel for his part brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not, do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word of the Lord.
Our second reading is found in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. It is an account of the parable, actually, of the workers in the vineyard and showing the generosity of the owner of that vineyard and also the envy, the jealousy of those who work with them. In honor of the reading of the Gospel lesson, would you please stand if you're able? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour. They said, you have, you have made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. And you're already seated up here, aren't you? Okay. Well, last week we talked about, I asked you the first thing, I th well, maybe it was two weeks ago when I asked you what you've been doing, if you'd listened to the les lesson that was read, the gospel lesson, because the one that we just read is an important one, and I'm trying to make sure I've got exactly what I need first. Let me just This is what I need first. The lesson is about someone who hired someone to do some work, and he paid them. He paid them exactly what he told them he would. Now, if I have all of you here and you come down for, for the um, lesson each week and I give you something, and you say, well, that's not fair because I come all the time, I should get more. So if I have these, I've got a few more here too. If I have these and I give them to you, they're not, and they're, you might say they're not real, but they are real. They're real tokens. They're not really of any value, but they do have some uh, verses of Scripture on them. Now, if all three of you are here and I, and I give you the same amount, that's fair, isn't it? But if I said uh, to you that I wanted to pay you to do something, I gave Ryder maybe... Uh, two, and Timothy three, and Abby, since she's a girl, we're going to pay her more. Can you all hear me? Can you hear today? Because sometimes I know you have a hard time hearing when we're talking up here, and I want to make sure that you hear. So if I do that, now we might say, here, hang on to those notes. We might say, well, you know, that's really not fair, but in the story about the landowner, each person agreed to do one thing, and the landowner 
he gave, gave them what they had said they would work for. But he wanted to give some a little bit more for the amount of work they did because they'd only worked an hour, and he gave them the same amount. Would you be upset about that if you had worked all day long and Timothy came in at the last minute and helped you clean up the house, and then Grandma said, well, here, I'll give you all both the same amount. Is that fair? It's not fair, is it? So what would you say? You'd say, I worked all day, wouldn't you? See, I, I remember when I was growing up, I was, I was one of many children, and my brothers always, for some reason, I always came on the short end of the stick, but nevertheless, I was always wanting it to be fair. And for some reason, if you're smaller, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, right? But Jesus said, or the parable of the landowner, the landowner gave them what they had agreed on, and so he said, look, can I give what I want to those that come? Is that fair? It's fair that he, if he wanted to, if he gave them what they agreed on to take, it's, it's fair. But he was generous. He was generous. He gave more. If someone is, if someone is uh, at your, one of your friends who doesn't have any, any to- anything, maybe a game that you want, or something that, that in your neighborhood, and you say, look, I've got one that I don't play anymore, and you give that, that's being pretty generous, right? We give that because it's what's in our heart. The, um, the story of the, the landowner, he was one who, was, who wanted to help those who help others. I met someone this week I want to tell you about. He's a young man who lives now in a house, but he lived in a van. He traveled across the country, and he said he doesn't need much, but when he gets to places, he usually will do some work, and then when he does the work, he will use that money to do some build, you know, help someone paint a house or build on the house, and he always finds other people that don't have so that they can have some of that money. He's generous. He could keep it all himself, but what does he do? He shares it with them. Now, they do some work, but he also shares it with them because he knows that what he has, God has blessed him with. So we need to remember that, that in our, our generosity of giving to our friends, to our family, you look out here, there's some really generous people out here. They're generous with their resources. They're generous with their time. They're generous with those gifts. And because of that, they use the, all of what they have, and it blesses all of us. So we also have that, that opportunity to bless others. So I want you to look at, take those with you, and if you feel like you've got slotted, I'll give you some more. But I hope that, you, hope that you read what's on there. And I've got something else for you somewhere. I had to hide it from you. And um, because I want to be fair, we'll give one to each. Okay. And before we go, let's offer prayer of thanks to God for all that we have and how we can use those things for God's kingdom. Lord, thank you for these children. We thank you for the blessings you place upon each of us, for the opportunities we have. May we use what we have to bless others. May we be generous with all that we have. And may others see your love in us. Amen. Sundays of Lent we're using in our intercessory prayers a response, a sung response, Tese response, uh, O Lord hear our prayer, O Lord hear our prayer when I call answer me. And when I say Lord in your mercy hear our prayers I invite you to join with the choir as we make that sung response at different points in our intercessory prayers. Shall we pray? God, our Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us. You have created us. You have given to us the gift of life in this world in which you live. 
You have given to us work to do and the strength to do it. You are a God who has poured out your generosity upon us in so many various ways. And this morning, we are grateful for that. And we know that as we come before you in prayer, you are the God who hears and the God who answers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. give you thanks today for all that other people have done for us as ministers of your grace. We thank you for those who taught us when we were younger, for those who shaped our lives during our formative years, for those who loved us and surrounded us with care, for those who continue to pray for us and seek your face on our behalf. O oh God, our Father, hear our prayers today and the cries of our hearts for other people. We pray that when things are going wrong, we and they may turn to you, believing that you're a God who answers prayer, a God who is interested in us, a God who will not abandon us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. bless those who find temptation difficult to resist. Give them and each one of us the strength always to overcome evil and do what is right. Bless this morning those who are depressed by failure. Help them to take heart and to make a fresh start even today. Bless those who are discouraged because they see no change in their situation, no results of their work and effort. Help them and us to be the best that we can be and to leave the outcome of our life in your hands. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Bless those today who suffer pain and help them to hold on to you, knowing you share their sufferings and will not leave them desolate. Bless all who are wounded by sorrow and for whom life has become lonely. Grant them comfort to ease the pain within their hearts and the companionship which will take away the ache of loneliness. Lord, hear all our prayers as we offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
It seems that envy is to be found everywhere. It's rife in the academic world as one scholar becomes envious and critical of articles being published in academic journals. It's found in the local neighborhood when your neighbor seems to have been putting a new kitchen into their house that you haven't been able to afford. Or that new Lexus that suddenly has appeared in your neighbor's front yard and they never seem to put it in the garage. Or why do all the freshman students at Samford seem to have a better and bigger car than you have? Younger siblings may be envious of the attention given to older brothers or sisters, realizing they have never received the same attention. First children have enormous closets with brand new uh, clothes. Second children wear hand-me-downs. When your first child drops a pacifier, you boil it for 10 minutes. When the second drops a pacifier, you tell the dog to fetch it. <laughs> Jerry Bridges calls envy the respectable sin. Catholic Church has traditionally called it one of the seven deadly sins. Shakespeare in Othello likens it to a green-eyed monster. And then in The Merchant of Venice, Portia speaks of green-eyed jealousy. In the majority of the sins, the list of sins that you find in the New Testament, envy seems always to be there. It's one of the most secretive of sins, the one that we're most likely not to confess. One writer suggests that envy has a talent for disguise. It keeps its attitudes to itself, but seethes and stews in resentment at the good fortune of others. The early church father Evagrius called it sadness because it cannot rejoice with those who rejoice. Most of the other sins have at least some fun attached to it. Gluttony at lust, at least for momentary pleasure. But whoever enjoyed being envious, even for a moment? Jealousy wants what others have, while envy wants to keep them from having it. Envy is more than jealousy. H. L. Mencken suggested that in America, contentment is making $10 more than your brother-in-law. But because we're not quite sure what your brother-in-law is earning, we can never be sure. And so envy gnaws away and nibbles at our consciences. Envy is most concerned for about those who are in our own smaller unit of social pecking order in the work, in community, even in the church. David Hume, the 18th century Scottish philosopher, noted that we rarely envy those who are much, much greater and better off than ourselves. I'm hardly going to envy the Duke of Roxburgh, who has a fancy E at the end of his name, because he's the largest landowner in Scotland. He's slightly above my own status. I'm not going to envy him. Kierkegaard in, Kierkegaard in Sickness Unto Death says that envy is a small town sin, a byproduct of living so close to a set of other people that one is constantly tempted to make comparisons. As I approached graduation in 1977, I had a good degree, I had a good prospect of graduate work, but what I'd hoped most for was a clear call to a Baptist congregation in Scotland to be a pastor. That took 15 more months of waiting and waiting and waiting and working at jobs that didn't really bring a lot of fulfillment to them. And I knew that several of my contemporaries were moving directly from college into ministry. It was easy to be envious even of a so-called spiritual vocation. We use the term green with envy that's how Shakespeare spoke about it. It suggests that historically envy was seen as linked to sickness. There are some sins which make other people ill, but envy, jealousy, make us ill physically, emotionally, and certainly spiritually. I sometimes wonder if the spread of social media has added to our envy. Facebook has tempted to tempt more of us to feel that we're not as, we're, we're not as well off as others are. And envy seems to grip us. We become more competitive, more complaining. People compare themselves to have the most Twitter followers. 
the most LinkedIn connections, the coolest updates, the cutest pictures. On Facebook and Twitter, everything seems to be wonderful and everybody's life is amazing, even awesome. I have to confess that is the one Americanism that I just cannot adopt in my own vocabulary. A, a closely connected cousin to envy is Schadenfreude, which is pleasure derived from the misfortune of others, a perverse feeling of joy when we see or hear about another person's troubles or failures. Tim Keller speaks about being happy when others become unhappy. But I suppose we're meant, I suppose we're meant to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Were some of us just a little bit too happy and gleeful in the temporary demise of Martha Stewart, a fabulously rich woman who seemed to have the cleanest of houses, the best of recipes, and went to prison? Yet the scriptures suggest that we shouldn't have those feelings about people. Sometimes envy pretends to be linked to justice. That's where our second reading comes in. The story of the workers that Jesus told, the workers who begin the day knowing exactly what they're going to get at the end of the day, and then throughout the day, more and more workers are brought in, and that's at the last moment, another set of workers are brought in, and they receive exactly the same amount of money, and they are miffed. They are greatly disappointed. And the owner says, are you envious because I am generous. Jesus seems to be suggesting that even in the spiritual realm, we can feel that God is too generous towards others and not generous enough towards us. Seems to me that I've been involved in the life of the church all my life. I had to go at some stage and then I chose to go and I've been coming on and on and some people don't come quite as often. Does God treat them just the way that he treats us? Well, apparently he does. His generosity knows no bounds. Mark Twain suggests that we might even like others to be envious of who we are. Twain says, a man will do many things to get himself loved. He will do all things to get himself envied. So we have reality TV shows. Has there ever been a term that's more of an oxymoron than that? Reality TV, really? But it feeds a sense of craving for recognition and even notoriety. Mind you, I used to go to evangelistic meetings when I was growing up, and the more salacious the testimony of the person who had been converted, the better the experience of salvation seemed to be. And he, there was I, a person who at the age of nine had given their lives to Jesus. I hadn't even got into the most enjoyable of sins that I might have got into. If only I had waited longer to be converted. So envy is a, a tricky sin. And envy is connected to other sins. C.S. Lewis talks about pride. He says pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say people are proud of being rich, clever, or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer, cleverer, or better-looking than others. So how do we deal with envy and jealousy? Paul says love does not envy. Where love and charity is, the Tese response that we've heard sung twice in different ways this morning, tell us that's where God is. Perhaps we don't need to pray for less envy, we need to pray for more love. Henry Nguyen, Dutch priest and theologian, once said, the hardest thing for us to understand is how God can love all human beings with exactly the same unlimited love, while at the same time loving each of them in a totally unique way. I used to wonder if I would love my two daughters as much as each other. And I discovered that you do, or you can, and I have. <laughs> you love them with the same unbounded love, although they're different in their personalities, and so the expression of your love that they receive is different according to who they are as individuals. That's the same with us. God's generous love 
towards each and every one of us. We don't need to be jealous of how God has loved others because he's loved us with his unboundless love. Now, the story of Cain is, is helpful here. It's a strange story, isn't it? Cain, who's envious of the gracious love of God towards his brother when he feels that he's missed out. Why does God accept his brother's offering and not his? Well, we're not told. It adds to the poignancy and the immediacy of the story. We find it incomprehensible that Abel is favored over Cain. Perhaps because we've seen that in our own lives. So we read that Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The green-eyed monster was taking root and showing itself even to God. In the story that we didn't read, God adds, asked Cain what's wrong. And we're told that sin is standing at the door. It's not taking hold of him at that point. There's still a way out. There's still a way back. But Cain doesn't reply. He sulks off in silence and turns his back on God and on the way of goodness. He becomes angry with God. You get the same idea in the, the play Amadeus, 1984 movie, which has Antonio Salieri, 18th century composer, filled with envy of Mozart's skills. At one point addressing a crucifix, he directs his attention frustration to God and says, from now on we are enemies, you and I. I don't think we would ever say it quite as strongly as that, but that's what we find in the story of Cain. The story of Cain suggests that the first step in dealing with envy is never to sulk, <laughs> is never to turn our backs on God and resent his grace towards others, but to turn towards him and seek mercy and renewal, to realize the assurance of the love of God that has captured us and enthralled us and filled us with his love. Paul learned that in the midst of suffering, when it would have been easy to be discontented, to wonder why other people's prayers are answered but not his prayer. And three times he pleads with God, take away this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. It's good that we don't know what it was because then we can apply it to every situation we face. Three times he says, no. And then suddenly he realizes what God is saying to him. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we seek not to be envious. We seek not to be jealous. We seek rather to be filled with an awareness of the love of God that makes us generous in spirit and generous in service. The trick about feeling that others are better off or even better than ourselves is to know that God loves us, whoever we are. And we can thank God for loving us and we can thank God for loving others. We can thank God for the gifts that others have received. Because the gifts that God has given us are not for our own enjoyment, they're for the benefit of others. The gifts of the grace of God in the life of the church the gifts of God's Spirit are given not so that we can find fulfillment, but so that others find a root of service. Our responsibility is always to use the gifts we have, whatever they are, according to the opportunity that God has given us. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. His love is not dependent on a good job, good fortune, good status, good achievement, or even good looks. Joni Erickson Tara is a remarkable woman who became a quadriplegic following a diving accident that left her the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Her story is one of struggle and yet of affirming the goodness of God and finding meaning in life and a new joy even in her life. One would have thought that after that kind of situation that she had coped with enough in life. And then in 2010, she was diagnosed as having stage three breast cancer. 
Just last month, she received the Biola University Charles W. Colson Conviction and Courage Award. Her life has not been easy, but it has been well lived in the knowledge of the love of God. So rather than be envious, we say, Lord, fill me with your love and give me a grateful heart and a generous spirit. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, help us as we face various temptations that lead us away from you. Grant us your spirit to be virtuous in how we live our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn, a declaration of dedication is number 264, where charity and love prevail. Please bow your head. Father, we are here today to hear of your word. And we have heard about generosity and envy. All that we experience from you is generosity. Even in our worst moments of life, we feel the blessings and the love that you send to us. We are here now to share our own generosity and our own love through our offerings and gifts. These will be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.
Loving Lord, we bring these tithes and offerings into this house. We do so because you have loved us, you have blessed us, you have called us to follow you. You have blessed us that we might bless others. May all these be dedicated for that purpose, and may we daily and continually reach out to those with your love, with your mercy, with your grace, even as you have loved us. Amen. Can we seated for just a moment, please? We do want to welcome those who are guests. There are two or three, I know particularly, that are here today, so we're glad that you're here with us, and uh, both for members and guests alike. We have a little reception there in the narthex. Uh, time for us to at least get to know you a little bit, talk to you a little bit, uh, share a little bit of refreshments as uh, we have some lemonade and cookies there, and it's always a good time to, uh, to fellowship there. And then after uh, you begin to get into this week's activities on Wednesday and and also on Thursday, we have services here. Wednesday, the uh, Fellowship Supper, and then also prayer and Bible study. And Dr. Roxborough has, has uh, begun a, a series on Why the Cross and looking at the um, and just that uh, atoning sacrifice and, and how we understand that today uh, as being a part of who we are as believers and how we do see that and understand it. And then on Thursday, we have our contemplative service at 530, a very uh, quiet and reflective service that's in the chapel at 5.30. We invite you to come and be a part of that as well. We have been blessed richly. Daily we are. And as we do, uh, as we do count those blessings, we receive them, we know that we are also compelled to use all those things, the resources, the talents, the time that we have for the purpose of God's kingdom, to bless other people through our relationships. And so I hope that as we go out today, that we will remember that we go out into a, a world that needs to experience the love of God, the love as we have known it, and may we share it in such manner. Dr. Roxburgh is going to have our benediction as we go out. So may we go with the blessing of God upon us, blessing of creator, redeemer, and friend this day and forevermore. <laughs>